You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Now, before we go into this one, I just want to tell you I probably did as much research before this interview as I've done before any of the, the interviews that I've, I've had on, on the show, uh, partly because Richard has created so much work and I wanted to be well-versed, but primarily because I was a huge fan of his as an adolescent and consequently was super nervous to be asking him questions about his life as if he was a real person in the actual world and not some sort of weird totemic reflection of who I once used to be. So I was a bit giddy before the interview. I think I, I dreamt about it the previous night. I certainly woke up thinking about it, which isn't like me at all. Uh, as many of you will know, I'm normally one of those kind of badass couldn't give a fuck. Road warriors, very unlikely to be nervous. Anyway, the reason I'm highlighting some nerves, which I otherwise largely managed to hide, is to excuse the inexcusable fact of which I'm terribly embarrassed that a couple of minutes into the show, I actually forgot the name of writer Alan Moore, who's one of my favourite uh, writers and comic writers. I didn't just forget his name, I panicked, and I think I referred to him as the Watchman Guy. And this is the sort of thing that's going to make future Stu very cross and ashamed. And I tried to edit it out, but I was prevented by journalistic integrity and a lack of skill. And it's also made worse by the fact that Richard Herring sort of says... Alan Moore in a tone of voice that quite rightly condemns me for being an idiot. But before we launch into the show, I just want to point out I was nervous and that's why I blanked on someone I love very much. And anyway, if I didn't know who Alan Moore was, then how come I knew what he said about the Lost Girls and was able to use it in a perfectly appropriate example of what we were talking about? There. Well, suitably vindicated, honour restored. Here is an interview from the very room where the man himself endlessly plays himself at snooker and podcasts the results. This is a conversation with the extraordinarily funny Richard Herring. It's about time I did another snooker podcast. I haven't done one for about, I'd seen yes. about every three weeks at the moment. I got, I got, um, of the, I asked for questions on Twitter, so is there any sort of burning issues? And I yeah. got a lot of people making reference to a sun cream and ham hands and stuff. Yeah. I think people want to know if you've sucked your own cock, if you've <laughs> yeah. seen a ghost, if your siblings have, all of that. I thought I'd steer clear of all that kind of stuff because uh, although I'm pleased that our audiences overlap, I think there's a chunk of mine who are just going to go, what the hell? Um, but, um, but someone did one request it wasn't a question it was tell Richard please stop doing the, <laughs> the snooker podcast which I listened to yeah. as much of, as I could bear <laughs> of an episode and uh, I do I was really excited by I really like you know the, 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 in the blurb for it yeah. it just says this is the most self-indulgent thing you're ever going to hear <laughs> and I suppose once you said that it's like there we go it's like calling something artistic like um, <laughs> what's his face um, the watchman guy uh, Alan, Moore. Alan Moore of course um, he was talking about when he wrote uh, The Lost Girls yeah. if they called it art everyone would have gone this is porn yeah. and they went this is porn and everyone didn't have a letter stand on there's something similar with the self there is. my mm. wife also hates it my wife thinks I should stop and none yeah. of the figures have got the first they just had the figures through for it and the first episode had like 35,000 downloads and the, oh the latest episodes had 5,000 downloads there's only tw- it's only gone up twice it's okay. gone, it goes down, 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 down. Episode 29 goes up a bit for some reason. Okay. Down, 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 down. And it's just gone up again on episode 35. So it might be 
about to turn the corner and go back up again. Okay. Let's hope not. When I've got down to near zero listeners, I'll stop doing it. I was going to say, that's, that's pretty <laughs> part of it. It's like nearly there, absolutely just going to kill off the last few. Amazing. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your insane, what I imagine is an insane schedule. To... It's a little bit busy at the moment, but it's okay. This is sort of my first question. Aren't you knackered? Um, I, I sort of do get knackered every now and again, but uh, I seem to be able to kind of push on. I'm not at the moment for some reason. I think just because I've only now got the Edinburgh show to do, it almost feels a bit relaxing because usually I've got like two or three things to do. Uh, I'm sort of used to just going on and then for about six or seven months and then having a couple of weeks off and then getting back into it again. When you, when you have a couple of weeks off, do yeah. you have some sort of physical shuddering breakdown from no, the, no, I mean, you, you really, what I'm getting at is you are more prolific I think than almost anyone I can think of certainly anyone that I've interviewed yeah. in terms of you're constantly putting things out yeah I feel like I waste loads of time still so I still feel like I sit around doing nothing all day so even now when I'm writing my Edinburgh show or should be writing my Edinburgh show I see, I seem to, it seems to be four or five o'clock before my brain starts kicking into gear just as I'm having to head out to do the gig and then okay. I don't really have time to do anything and then I get to the gig I usually write the, I write the show sort of on stage Although I've got quite a lot of scripted material that I'm having difficulty learning at the moment, so uh, which is maybe why it's sort of slowing down. But I, I don't feel like I, I overwork. There are times, there have been times when I've... There was one weekend a few, a few years ago when it was my wife's birthday. I was doing two episodes of Rich Herring's Objective, the Radio 4 thing mm-hmm. that I, ha- I had really yet to write. Mm-hmm. And then on the Monday I was doing it and as it occurs to me. So I had to write basically three radio shows in the space well you know through two radio shows and a podcast in the space of a week and go to my wife's birthday party uh, and uh, which was my wife then which was my girlfriend then uh, and that was quite hectic and difficult and I'm kind of went a bit mad but generally I mean, you know as it occurs to me something a bit mad it was that was kind of the, the deadline of that was a bit insane but um I like to keep busy and I like you know I think the reason I do all these podcasts is because you know 10 years ago or so no one was really interested in paying me to do anything or not very much and uh, I just thought I'd rather get on with it and it's great to have this sort of I mean for that sort of stand up with the podcast it's been five or six years I guess but just having that outlet to try stuff out and do whatever you want I think is fantastic okay. so most of them are pretty easy to do most of them don't I don't take much time on sure so okay most of them last about as long as they take to do you know something like the snooker podcast I'd literally Sure. Just do it. I don't. Sure. I don't plan anything at all. As you might be able to tell, but that for me is what's the beauty of it is that it's kind of completely improvised, and then occasionally something funny will happen. But a lot of boring things have to happen first. Okay. And so, and I think the joke with that that is that the audience, you know, that I'm doing it is the joke. Yeah. That I yeah. continue to do it is joke, but the audience are part of the joke because the audience who listen also are wasting their time listening to it in a sure. sense. And I think if you get that, then it's quite an an entertaining, amusing thing. And I have all the things I do. It's almost the thing I'm most proud of. As I said, my wife absolutely hates it and thinks I should stop. She overheard me doing the last one. I just said, "You're going. You are. That's what you're doing. Is just mentally ill." Okay. But, but I think it it isn't because I know that it. You know, I'm. You, you're aware of what I'm, the joke I, is. I think if I was doing it <laughs> without any awareness, but I think that's part of the fun of it as well. Is is it? Have I genuinely gone crazy? Have I not? So something like that doesn't take up a lot of my time. It's only in terms of you know whether I have time to sit down and do it. You know, sometimes I feel I should be writing my Edinburgh show rather than doing the snooker podcast, which is why I haven't done one for a little while. Um, but I don't feel like, you know, I don't. I, I sometimes I get tired at Edinburgh, well, during Edinburgh, that's the most tiring time of my year. The tour, the touring last year was tiring because I did it on my own, uh, and I've mainly toured on my own without tour manager and without support. Sure. Uh, so it's just the driving is is destroys you, basically. Yes. The actual doing the show, and then doing the show. And you sort, I sort of realised on the last tour that I couldn't, that for the show to be good, I couldn't 
really afford to be doing all the driving myself. I did a bit mm-hmm. of it, but I didn't do it. So I had a tour manager this year, which made things a little bit easier. Um, I, you know, I feel like I waste a lot of time. I feel like I've got a lot more ideas and things I'd like to get out there that I haven't got time to do. Okay. So, uh, so do not- you do you think that you're a workaholic? I don't know because I don't think I, I think I, I, I you know I think I'm quite lazy I'm from procrastinator that's what workaholics say <laughs> I know but I'm a procrastinator and I you know and I really I did a show on Radio 4 that was about all these things years ago that was about the, these various things so I, I kind of am both uh, there's an element where I'm a workaholic and there's an element where I sure. waste a lot of time and I, I, but I just enjoy what I do you know and it's not most of it isn't very taxing and most of it is, is really fun to do something like the Less Square Theatre podcast is just a joy to do you, know, mm. you do like a day's prep and, and then actually most of it goes out the window and you just mess around and have a, a nice chat with someone who's funny uh, and you know that's out of the things I've been doing recently that's probably the most successful single project I've done um, so it's, it's, it's really nice to have all these different outlets. So I, that, that, I suppose the fear, the, you get to a fear that you're overexposing yourself, but people can choose what they want to listen to. So, <laughs> yeah. so they, they make that decision themselves. Okay, we, and also that I could be doing something a bit more worthwhile with my time than some of Is them. that a concern? Well, uh, you know, sometimes I, I worry that um, maybe I should have been writing more TV scripts. So I've written a fair few that most of them haven't got on, uh, or, or working a bit harder on, you know, on an individual project rather than spreading myself more thinly but I, I, I actually just think if I did that I would just take a lot more you know I'd just take the same amount of time to do to do whatever I was doing you sort of, you know you have ideas for kind of films and books and it, it's a massive commitment to write a book or a film <laughs> and, to do, and I, I'm sort of starting to get to the point where I think well like I'm just going to get on with it a few years ago I kind of thought I thought I worked with the guys from Little Britain. I script headed the the last series of Little Britain. Uh, whatever you thought of that, it wasn't my fault because I didn't really do anything. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, I, I can either take the credit or the blame for what happened because I didn't really have any input to it. But I sort of saw them and the BBC were kind of censoring them a little bit. And I sort of thought, mm-hmm. why don't you just make Little Britain on your own and mm-hmm. put it out on the internet and then sell it to the BBC and they have to put it out? Why are you going through all this? Okay. You know, you've got enough money now to, to do this. Uh, why why don't you just make it yourself and have all the money rather than giving some of the money to BBC but then I got to the point where I thought you know recently the last couple of years I thought well actually I'm doing okay you know I'm, I'm, I'm working hard and I'm, I'm uh, from the touring and the DVDs and the various TV appearances and stuff I make enough money from that to to comfortably live and to you know to support the 70% of work I do for nothing which again I think obviously feeds in is that, is that a fair do you think that's a fair tally the 70% I'd say yeah I think probably at least 70% I'm mm. doing initially for nothing and then I might get paid for it down the line for example like a lot of the this year's Edinburgh show comes from my blogs which I've obviously written for free sure. but you go through that and there's this massive wealth of material and you find all these stories and sure. so I could do you know I will, it practically is it's practically just six or seven blogs I've picked out and then I'm, I'm working up uh, there is a bit of extra stuff or it can go to a metro column or I'll get a radio show or whatever you know, so it, it pays for it like that but I, but I also realise I am in the position now where not to the extent I can make Little Britain on my own but I can start making my own shows and funding them myself sure yeah, I've heard that Stuart I've seen various yeah. and I should say I've done more research I think for you <laughs> than any of my previous guests partly because I'm sort of slightly in that thing of like oh my god it's Richard Herring I run around a college shouting egg like an egg <laughs> you know they, they, partly there's that but also just because there's so much material out there about you and predominantly by you yeah. that I, I was sort of thinking, well, I don't want to ask something that's really obvious. That, and as you just said there, well, I, I did a show about that or a TV show about that a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you feel like you are using up everything 
you know, with, particularly with your daily blogs, yeah. do you feel like you're churning through every single thing that happens to you, every memory, every childhood experience? Does, is, it, is it draining? Do you feel like you're no, using everything? I think it's quite liberating and it's quite nice to make comedy about yourself and, you know, for you to be the butt of the joke, which I usually am. Uh, I think it's sort of interesting to... It wouldn't have happened without the blog. You know, the blog's sort of an interesting development. I guess it, in terms of... There's been two or three things that have happened in the last 10 or 15 years since you know, me and Stu stopped working together that, that have sort of helped redefine what I am because I wasn't really interested in doing stand-up on my own at all uh, until sort of that 10 years ago. I did some right at the start of, and then the sort of double act took off and I, was more, I wasn't really interested in working on my own. Hmm. But the, the blog was just sort of came about by worrying that I, I really was. I just bought this house... Uh, we'd, I'd earned some money from working with Al Murray. I'd wrote uh, two series of, uh, I wrote, like, basically, I wrote thirty-five episodes of a sitcom and was well paid for each episode. Uh, and suddenly, for the first time in my life, had some money because we never made money really with Lee and Henry. We sort of paid off our debts almost by the end of it. Um, and and then I went through a bit of a period thinking, oh, what's the point in working? What's when no one seems to care? You know, Lee and Herring had sort of failed and no one really noticed. I thought Time Jump Please has been really good, but no one seemed to have noticed. And I sort of gotten in a bit of a sulk. And then I was and I was writing talking. I mean, I was still working. And I was writing the talking book in this house on my own. Uh, and it was sort of difficult. And I just sort of felt I was wasting lots of opportunities and just think all those days that go by that I've done nothing. What, what, what was the, you said that was difficult? Yeah, well, was it the the the, the solitude? Of yeah, I was, very, I was a bit lonely. I'd been, and then I was sort of because I've got to say, I don't know how if you've ever listened to this podcast, but yeah. that's the sort of thing we love <laughs> because all of my listeners are kind of also in the Anna and yeah. I trapped in that kind of. Well, I was. It was a difficult point at time, and I bought a house. I bought this house, and it's quite a big house to live in with my girlfriend at the time and her son. And then we'd broken up, and I still was living in this sure. big house. Uh, which is not a terrible problem to have in a lot of ways, except that I had a big mortgage to pay as well. Um, and uh, I was, yeah, I was just sort of, I, I was, you know, I've always been a little bit socially awkward. I'm kind of better now, but I was, I was very, I, I, I found it difficult to even ring up my friends and say, let's go out because I yeah. didn't want to impose on them and stuff. So I was staying in a lot and I was writing a lot and I was writing about Cox a lot. I was writing a book about Cox and I was writing a film. Uh, at the time, which never came off about yes. someone getting sexually transmitted disease, and so I was just I going. I don't know who I did last summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay, yeah. It was based on a Glenn Wool uh, routine, there. so it sort of came from a, tr- a true thing, and then it was going to be about this guy having to go back and find all his ex partners and work out what what work out what this mystery sexually transmitted disease was. Um, so you were writing about a single man, yeah. in a predicament. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but yes, exactly. So uh, and and you know, I, I was. I was I'd lost direction a bit. Obviously, the double act had stopped, and then and then Al, I'd moved to this area because Al lives here, and I thought I'll probably be working now on something else, even if not another series of mm-hmm. this thing. And then Al said, "Oh, come on, I, I want to do this next thing on my own," which is his prerogative. But you know, I sort of <laughs> I sort of was a bit lost and didn't know where I was going, and I just sort of felt I was wasting. I was really wasting a lot of time, and days were going by, and I wasn't doing anything, and I was just sort of sitting around watching telly and you know, playing one well, pretty much playing internet poker at that stage, but that sort of thing. And uh, and so just the, the blog was just thought, well, all these days go past and all these little things happen that you don't document. And so it'd be nice just to document one funny thing a day. And, and, I, and I, it's called warming up because I thought uh, that will then make me, once I've done written one thing, that'll be then I'll do the real writing. Oh, right, yeah, of course. Which of course all that happens and still happens is I do that and go, oh, okay. <laughs> and then now that's, I'm done. <laughs> well, you feel like you've achieved something. But then, you know, I have suddenly achieved, you know, I've done it for, I've, I'm about 100 off 4,000 entries of that, 4,000 consecutive entries of it, which is, I know it's insane and I know it's sort of slightly OCD, but it is this, 
it's a really interesting record to have and it's a really interesting source of material to have as I'm finding you know I put death into the search engine on that mm. and then all these things come up and some of them are about uh, me dying yeah. on stage but some of them are things I've totally forgotten and I've you know actually next week's met, the metric on coming out this week is about an old man which I got by putting death in for some reason I don't know and I was kind of middle aged guy just apropos of nothing passing him in the street and going oh I haven't seen an ass like that for 10 years and me looking around and this quite an ordinary looking woman walking past but also yeah. about the you know about all the kind of complications of why, why we shouldn't look at people's asses and sure. all that sort of stuff. but it's a really good blog that I completely forgotten everything about uh, and I don't remember the incident. I don't, I've never remembered it. And I read it, and it's this really funny little, yeah. you know. And I think the Metro columns are interesting. Just get everything into six hundred words. It, you can really tell nearly every story in six hundred words. And, and I, I'm very fastidious about making it exactly six hundred words. Okay. And sometimes I'll get something out of a blog and go, "It's twelve hundred words. This isn't going to fit." But you you knock it all out, and it's six hundred words. Sure. And I think for writing the Edinburgh show, I've kind of realised even to write a Metro article about each routine yeah. to get it to 600 words even if you then expand it out again or mess around with it that's quite a good exercise I think how, how much of your Metro column say or your Edinburgh shows yeah. even is stuff that hasn't ever been part of the warming up blog um, not very much the Metro columns are nearly all either old ones or you know or newer ones that I'm doing so because it if you're right about the week it, it'll be very odd if something funny enough to be a Metro column hasn't already made it into the blog sure so, I mean, Sure. Uh, though occasionally it, it, it isn't with the, with the Edinburgh shows it depends I mean with um, Hitler Moustache that was more, I mean I guess a lot of it ended up being in the blog but that was more of a, a you had an idea and then you, you ran with it it came out of the Collins and Herring podcast though uh, with What Is Love Anyway again I found three or four things there was a couple of things I'd written around that time which is part of the reason I went into the love thing so I'd written them with a, uh, with a view to mm-hmm. taking them I think it's say for example on Hitler Moustache I think that, that my, my, probably my own personal favourite of my own routines is the why uh, liberals are more racist than racist <laughs> yeah. I don't think I ever wrote that as a blog but that was, that was a routine that was kind of bubbling around in my head for about four months before I could even and I kind of knew there was something there but it, I couldn't really get it down and I was too I was kind of nervous about attempting it without sure. working out what it was because also there's, you know, there's a it's a, it's an area where it could go badly yeah, wrong yeah, if you get it wrong. And eventually that did come out. So that wasn't, for example, that was never a blog or or anything. But but yeah, a lot of um, a lot of the love show was. But the, but then again, when you get on stage, I had a I had a routine that was I think based on an old blog, and then that suddenly reminded me of uh, it was about when I used to go out with Julius Awala, which was this yes. kind of so, and it was about the spirit guide. I'd done this routine, and then I kind of just one day apropos of nothing in the show told the story about how when I. I met her, she had never seen Fist of Fun, so she didn't know that I'd built a shrine to her and how I kept putting her off watching, the, you know, pretending I didn't have the tapes because I didn't want to yeah. And then uh, when she came first met my parents, she kind of, my dad had a copy and we watched it all together. And I realised that, you know, it's a, it's a really funny story for, for so many reasons, but I'd never thought of telling, i never thought of doing it. It was just something that occurred to me on okay. stage to tell that story. And I realised that was a better story than the story I'd originally told. So that was never, a, you know, so sometimes the blogs will... will push someone forwards you know I suppose the first one that really I wasn't doing stand up right when I started writing the blog probably for the first two, two, or, so, two or so years of it uh, and then I suppose I went back a little bit or found bits and occasionally you know you'll get tweets or emails from people going oh I love this one and I guess one of the first ones that did that was the yoghurt some yes, yes. which again is quite a, sm- a short blog so it does change a lot in performance but you sort of realise oh I've got something there you know and then you can take that but I would never have thought of doing even if I was doing stand up I would never have thought of 
that incident where I went to a supermarket with nine yogurts and the woman said someone likes yogurt I'd never thought oh I'll make a stand up routine about this sure. okay. but because I was forced to write a blog about that I, okay. think, I think I even sort of a lot of the time I sit around going oh what happened nothing happened nothing happened there's nothing you know, there's nothing I've got nothing a lot of the time I'm just sitting writing or failing to write in the mm. day so there's not much happens in your day and so because you have to really focus in on something minute you'll suddenly hit something and then some, sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes you hit the ground running and you know the, if you look at the Someone Likes Yogurt blog it's a pretty solid yeah, you know it, the the logic of it all. Worked. Given that I pretty much I don't go back really and rewrite these as blogs, so I'll just write them. Mm-hmm. If they're really good, I might go. I'll go back and just edit it and mm-hmm. check if I can make it a bit better. But basically, I just write a stream of consciousness, and some of them just come out. Bang, that's a routine. Uh, the thing I'm doing in this year's show, there was an old lady. I'm doing a thing about the song. There was an old lady who swallowed a fly. Well, again, something I've pretty much forgotten about that I wrote ten years ago uh, as a blog. <laughs> and it, but if you read, you know, I've just been basically reading the blog out. It's it's. You know, it's very well okay. structured and, and, as, and as a routine. You, presumably, your your blog has become better structured as you've become better at writing a blog. I think I've become very good at writing. You know, six hundred thousand words pretty quickly and making it work as a as a piece. You know, so if you look, if you read over them, there's quite a few little mistakes and stuff in there. And if you go back over, you when I do take them to write the metro column, but if I take them to write the metro column, it will change and I will improve sure. it. And but basically, it's that taking it down. And you know, both me and Stu have always loved expanding stuff beyond its natural lifespan. But I think. Yeah. But there's something really to be said, even if you do that, I think there's something really said about about getting something down, a story especially, or a routine, down to its absolute bare bones and uh, and work out, you know. And I think 600 words is probably, it might make the sort of perfect stand-up routine as well, I think, really. It's fun to stretch things, but actually I think it's also quite, it's it's more challenging in a way to make something as precise as possible without okay. it being a you know without being a one line joke. If you can, I'm not really good at one line jokes, but if you could make one line jokes, that's fine. But it is. I think that's a very. I think that's the breakthrough this year is thinking, thinking of you know standard routines in that way. That let's actually let's. There was one that I was telling that was a blog about me. Um, but again, I have turned some metricon, and then probably in the show about me, uh, a, a friend who's in the hospital borrowing my Scrabble cartridge from my Game mm-hmm. Boy, and then him nearly dying, and me worried about whether I was getting my Scrabble cartridge. Sure. But, but I was doing that just as the blog, and it was quite long, and then then I rewrote it as a Metro article, and then I started doing the Metro article, and if anything, I've taken a little bit more off of it at the moment. But you know, it, it's actually you kind of find the more you compare it back to the bare essentials the yes. better the story walks and then it works and then you can go off on a tangent sure because you know what you're going to say yeah, on stage yeah, you yeah. just go it goes from A to B to C yeah. and then you can take your time yeah, to yeah I think once you know it it becomes a lot easier to mess around with it. and I will still mess around with these things right until the end of the of the tour but but I, I'm kind of more, getting more interested in brevity than in, in stretching stuff <laughs> will, will your audience be relieved the snooker podcast given that that may go on indefinitely is my chance to do that but then you know, I think the old lady sort of life example is quite a long routine but it, but it, that, it is quite interesting but yeah so but I, but I wrote things that weren't intended as stand up articles because I was just writing things that I was trying to write funny stories or just find something amusing in the day or eat or failing that interesting in the day and uh, and so it was quite an unusual way to come at it but a lot of them do really work as a stand-up which I then started in about 2004 I came back to sort of starting to do stand-up so it was a, it's okay. been an amazing resource to have this blog yeah. I was going to say given that given that you have that given that you've spent I mean like you say close to 4,000 individual mm. sessions forcing yourself to come up with something yeah. squirrelling it away you know and then and then being able like you say I'd never thought you could type death into effectively the <laughs> database on yeah. it search all your previous blogs and are you is there a part of you that's thinking 
I've bloody nailed this. This is, this is what everyone should be doing. Well, I think everyone should do it. If you want to become better at doing whatever, if you're a writer or a comedian, if you want to become better at it, just do it a lot. You know? and so I think that's why I've got, got good at basically having a conversation with someone. It's because I've spent hundreds of hours either having a conversation with Andrew Collins or uh, with the Edinburgh Fringe. You know, I've done 50 Edinburgh Fringe podcasts. I've done mm. 25 uh, Less Square Theatre podcasts. I've done you know, a couple of hundred things with... Andrew Collins plus the radio show that it with Andrew Collins so you get good at doing stuff by doing it so you become mm-hmm. a much better however good you think you are I think it's quite interesting this guy um, complained about executives which is a fair thing to do about them messing up his uh, John Warburton messing up his uh, yes Tom and asking yes, for yes, and stuff, which obviously some idiot that's a pretty idiotic statement but he was pretty convinced he'd written a brilliant sitcom okay. and that was the thing that jarred for me sure <laughs> because I write a sitcom now and I'm still not convinced and I go I'm, I'm pleased with this I'm, I'm glad about this but I'm not I'm not writing a script going this is perfect you were know, you what? were you ever when you were a younger I think when you're younger you are less less open to criticism and it's, it's a knee jerk reaction to just immediately go no this is this is the best way to do it but to become a good writer I really think you need to listen to everyone else if you're writing something like uh, an ensemble thing that's like a, like a sitcom or a play you've got to listen to what You've got to listen to how they do it, at least, because you, mm. when I was writing Tom General Please, and I wrote uh, ten episodes of uh, nine episodes of Tom General Please in ten weeks, it got to the stage at the end because we were given nine extra ones, and it got to the stage where I literally had to. They'd be recording, they'd record the episode. I'd have been writing for a couple of days. They'd, they'd, the next day, they would do a read through of whatever I'd got. Mm-hmm. I'd rewrite that over the weekend. We'd do another read through on the Monday. I would then finalise it by the Tuesday. They would then rehearse that for two days and do it on the Thursday. I'd be starting the next one, and. Um, the read-through, you know, you would get so much from the the initial read-through, however good you thought it was, and you could take stuff out. And I think you've just got to listen to what everyone else says. But I think as a young writer, it's very easy to go, no, I'm brilliant. However good, if you are brilliant, that's great, but you'll get better by doing more sure. and, by, and, and really by listening. If you're surrounded by idiots, which you often are uh, in TV, <laughs> then that you don't have to take what, what they say. Mm-hmm. But I, I really think it's worth considering because you, your knee-jerk reaction is going, no, that's the best bit, I'm not taking there's no way I'm taking that's the most fantastic thing about it. You know, he was quite obsessive in his article that the brilliant you know, thing about his sitcom was that you, it was in a pub but you never saw the bar, which yeah. I can't quite understand what he's getting at there, but he thought this okay. was amazing. Uh, but, you know, it isn't necessarily that amazing. Sure, <laughs> your amazing sure, idea sure. might not necessarily... I can't see how that was an amazing idea to never see the bar. I don't think anyone even really noticed. Yes. Uh, but maybe there was something more to it than that. But, you know, not, I'm not knocking him because, I, I, you know, I, I can understand it. But well, a, didn't, a gave up after this one knockback. Mm-hmm. He stopped being a, a writer, which I think shows, again, you're not going to be a good writer if you, you've got to really take the blame. You know, I've been doing this for 25 years. Most of the things I give in get rejected. Yeah. Most of the things I give in are definitely better than the worst things that get on TV. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, but the, you know, there's no way of knowing that from the script. Even if you're, even if you're fantastic, even if the script's amazing, you get the wrong director, you get the wrong actor, just something goes wrong in the, you know, the, the wrong way to shoot it. Or There's so yeah. many things that can go wrong. But I just don't think you'll ever write a pilot script that's never been read out and never been with it. Because every time I, however much time, I kind of slightly resent the way they the way, the way they make you write sort of what they think is a perfect pilot script. Mm. Because the minute it's read out, you go, oh god, we don't need those four pages. Yes, sure. Uh, someone okay. could just look at them each other in a, you know, and, yeah. and, and that will cover it. And you get the right actor, or if the actor can do. You know, sometimes you'll write a line or a, say it's catchphrase for a, a character and they can't do it the way you want to do it and you mm-hmm. realize oh, they don't get how to do the joke mm-hmm. they're going to be a brilliant actor doing other stuff so you've got to get rid of that joke because the actor can't do it so, okay. or doesn't get how to do it and you can't go no do it like this sure, sure. they'll get cross and also they still won't understand so just sometimes 
sometimes you just got to let things go for you know pr- pragmatic reasons. But um, you know, I just don't think you can. You, if you're sitting thinking I've written a brilliant script, then either you're an absolute genius, mm-hmm. and I think this is true of stand-ups. They're kind of the really the absolute best ones, and the absolute worst ones have <laughs> this unbelievable belief in themselves. Okay, that, that they just have this confidence. So you see the genius ones, and they're just sure. like, this, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life because this is brilliant. I don't yeah, care if yeah. the audience don't get it. And the absolute worst ones have the exact same. Oh, oh massive comments. I think most people in the middle don't know you know you don't know you're fairly confident you're okay the more you do something go well i must be okay this because it's going on but you still can't be sure so what can i say about richard herring he's an incredibly prolific writer blogger columnist talker as you can hear the undisputed king of the podcast in the uk and a comedian whose work i've been enjoying in one form or another since i was about 17 or 18 years old We spoke for two hours and something, so I've split this podcast up into two episodes. The next one will be out next week, probably. I think I should more generally say next time, but I mean, seeing as it's the second half, I'll make the effort. It'll be out next week. Uh, We cover Richard's work with Stuart Lee, his finding contentment without the fame, the riches and the awards that he once craved, what it means to him to move on, Uh, his aims for his podcast, the development of his comic persona and what that means to his real self and his real life and whether it hurts him ever to turn so much of his life into comedy. Some of that in that in this half, some of that in next week's half. Uh, and on the subject of weeks, you'll have noticed I've had a bit of a gap. I've been dithering basically over whether to go back to bi-weekly editions of this show. It's just loads more work doing weekly shows, and I can't help noticing that very few of you seem to notice when I, when I just had a pause of two weeks there, and an awful lot of you that I meet out and about are saying... I love the show, but I've got a bit of a backlog. I think that's true of most of you. I I want to keep it regular, um, but I just don't know whether weekly or bi-weekly. You don't care, and I haven't made a decision on that anyway. I'm just flagging up that I don't know what I'm doing. So the, uh, the two, two things really, the winner of the game, uh, Very Alderton, uh, naming tribute acts for comics, is Sean Bennett, who won the public vote by a landslide with Laurel and Hardley. Uh, he isn't going to Edinburgh, however, so a ticket to the Edinburgh ComCom show of your choice, uh, which was the prize, is going to go to the runner-up. Um, so whoever sent in Benny Reboot... You've just won yourself a ticket to whichever ComCom live show that you'd like at the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, I just can't remember who you are, and I've Googled you within my mail thing, and I still can't find out, so please send me an email. Uh, and finally, before we get back into our conversation with Richard, the latest lineup is available at comedianscomedian.com for the Edinburgh show, uh, the recent editions, about which I'm very excited. Uh, some of these I've mentioned before, some of them are brand new in the last few days. Thursday, August the 1st, that crucial all important first show up there I'm so pleased to be welcoming Hal Cruttenden to the show uh, he'll be explaining just how uh, you can you can triple quad and quin up your gigs of a Friday or Saturday night um, in fact we might not even mention that because I'm sure he gets loads of shit from it from various places but the, the truth is the man is incredibly hard working and, uh, and a brilliant brilliant comic one much given to being amazing and then coming off uh, stage and going oh they were a bit hard work he's one of those idiots I think we're going to get along famously on the show Thursday the 1st of August Hal Cruttenden uh, Friday the 2nd of August Sean Hughes another another person another sort of hero in many ways who I 
watched as a kid who I can still hum or sing the theme music to his show uh, and who uh, because of whom now whenever I pick up the phone to people uh, and I'm in my house I, I always think to myself I should switch some jazz on so I uh, can't wait to welcome Hal Cruttendon on Thursday August the 1st on Friday the 2nd of August is Sean Hughes and then some other big guns later on you know, the rest of the details are up there Friday uh, August the 9th is Milton Jones. Milton bloody Jones. That's just going to be brilliant. I can't wait. Saturday, August the 10th, Bo Burnham, who is a, an internet sensation. Some of my listenership, like me, might be a little bit older than his uh, than Bo's uh, target audience or, or certainly the, the biggest percentage of his audience. Um, but have a look for Bo Burnham on YouTube. I think that's going to make for a fascinating chat. Uh, and then towards the end, I mentioned some of these, I think, last week. Uh, the 19th is Al Murray. Brilliant. The 20th is Sarah Millican. Brilliant. The 21st is Rob Delaney. Also brilliant. So all of them are up at comedianscomedian.com. That's enough plugging for now. Let's get back to my conversation with Richard Herring. You've described your frustrations over the years with stuff not getting made, things that you felt were good that weren't getting made. Um, Do you feel like you've kind of, like you're in a position where you have a kind of a hard-won... Well, you know, you've earned your stripes in terms of the disappointments that you've suffered. Yeah, but they don't stop, you know. And that's, um, but I think, ultimately, and like, if you'd talked to me ten years ago, I'd have been much more... I'd have been the same thing, and others are shit, and why is everyone turning my stuff down? It's not fair, I'm brilliant. And I might have been more like that. But I think, <laughs> for, for the benefit of the listener, Richard was doing a small dance from side <laughs> to side as he did that. But, um, but I'm really glad, in hindsight, that I've had to struggle... You know, upwards in the last ten years, you know, I'm still got to the point where, uh, you know, most people don't know who I am, and most people, and I'm not guaranteed to. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in a lucky position that I'll get paid to write pilot scripts, mm-hmm. so I can I can spend two months writing something, and it won't get made, and it's not the end of the world because I've still got paid for it. Sure. It's still massively disappointing, but you, I think you need to have those knocks, and you need to look at it and go, well, okay, look, they they didn't get that. Maybe it was bad. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe if I come back and look at it in five years' time, I'll agree with them. Or maybe I'll come back and look at it in five years' time and go, actually, this is really good. If I have a hit, then I can go back and pick up these old shows and go, this is another script. And they'll, of course, make them because I'll have had a hit. So there's a lot of, you know, you've got a battle. And and I think the battle is a good thing. I think it's, you know, me and Stu early on worked really hard, but had a sort of charmed existence where we sort of went up in this you know straight curve up the graph and every every door we got through more or less closed behind us and we got uh, you know we we were very lucky to write for On The Hour very early on we got our own radio show that you know got another radio show that show radio show got to TV that just got onto TV you know we had a little setback one the Fist of Fun got cancelled but then we someone else came and who liked it and we got the next thing and you know Fist of Fun was the last sketch show that they with new people they spent a reasonable amount of money mm-hmm. on the budget so you know we were very lucky to get that and then we sort of had the bad luck of the, someone getting in charge who hey didn't like us and no, neither of us sort of really worked so certainly in you know well I wrote for Tom Jeff and Please but we were in sort of both in a little hinterland wasteland for four or five years but I think it did us both the power of good because if we just kept on Succeeding, we I think you would have got to that level of confidence that I imagine Ben Elton has about himself. Yes, okay. That he just goes, well, I've written this, so obviously this is brilliant. Sure. And I don't need to go back and so, look at it and check whether it is brilliant or yeah, listen, okay, or listen to it. So that's the other end of it, where you get so successful that everything you do, no one can criticise it because you're J.K. Rowling or because you're Ben Elton. You just get to put out 
a massive book that could do with some editing because no one dares tell you that you should edit it. So I think having the failures is a, a really positive thing and, and working for 25 years is a really positive thing. Yeah. It's, it's bad to get discovered too soon. And I, you know, when I was a kid, I wondered, you know, when I was a teenager, I was writing to TV, hoping to get into things. You know, I was really hopeful that our first student review would be made into a TV show. I completely understand it. I'm delighted it wasn't. <laughs> it would have been terrible. But, but also, you, know, you become much better at what you're doing. I think that's the, that's the thing. And you also understand, I'm, I'm much more, uh, you know, philosophical about the, the failures now. When think, I've written this script, Ra Rasputin, and I don't think, and something might happen with it eventually, but it looks, it's not looking good. And I'm really okay. pleased. I think out of all the things I've done, I they're getting better and better. I think this is a really interesting idea that kind of ticks a lot of boxes and, you know, will be a good show. And it might, it, it still might happen, but it might not. And I think five years ago, I would have just, you know, I'd have been so miserable. The minute that call came in going, you know, I'm not sure it's going to happen. I'd have been just distraught and going, okay. what's the point? And now, but now I just sort of think, okay, well, I'll move on to... The, if that and and is that because, when you say five years ago, is that because that's when you started, uh, is it because when you started podcasting or when you started no, some sense of, I, I'm generating stuff on my own that is a success, not dependent on the whim of anyone else? It's very nice to have that. I think going back to stand-up gave me, gave me a performing outlet. So when I was lonely and not doing anything and I wasn't performing, and I think that was part of the problem. And, and stand-up is enough for me as a performer mm. even if I'm just doing 30 people in front of a pub if I did that a couple of times a week for the rest of my life that would satisfy that urge of being sure. a performer yeah. I don't need to be like a massive star I don't need to be uh, everyone to know me in fact I'm glad that I'm still fairly anonymous and can go about my life and observe things would it be can I just stop you there because this is the middle of an interesting answer but something I know that a lot of people will ask and something that I've thought myself in terms of my own expectations of my own stand-up career I've been going for nine years and yeah. I make a living from it I'm very grateful and I think I I can sort of look at my famous friends and go yeah. oh I wouldn't like to put up with some of those things yeah. but equally I think a bigger large part of me is going but I'd really like a chance <laughs> to find out whether or not I liked it well I've got, I've in all honesty yeah how, do you still want it do you still want telly and fame and those accolades and things like that or are you have you sort of made peace with that not happening yet or maybe ever in, in a kind of fairly calm zen way yeah. or have you been forced to make peace with it what's that <laughs> it's a mixture of all those things like I think again 10 years ago I was very sort of bitter that none of our, none of our shows had been recognised as being any good I've, you know, I've never won any stand up awards I've never uh, I've never and anything I've worked on TV has never got anywhere near having an awards you know there's some of the internet stuff has now started winning awards and it did bother me when I mm. hadn't won any awards and that seemed odd and, and you know and it did bother me that people coming in and being more when, when you say that seemed odd, is that because it didn't tally with your view of your your own ability? Well, yeah, I, you know, I think... It seemed odd that we'd done quite a lot of great, good stuff, I thought, and it'd never been recognised by anyone. I, mm. I, you know, I think... It, I, I'm still... Even looking back at Fist of Fun now, I sort of think, well, it's not as good as I thought it was. But it's there's still something really interesting in it. And, and given how young we are, there's loads of ideas and... If someone had gone, if someone had gone, oh, this is great, here's an award, that might have meant that it existed, you know. So sure. just, we didn't even really get, we got slightly starting to get recognised in the newspapers with it, but people were very sniffy towards us, understandably, because we were young kids and it looked, you know, stewed hair looked stupid. And, uh, <laughs> so you can understand it. But, uh, you know, I am actually, I think, I, I, I think also when I was younger, you sort of think of the money and the fame and the mm. girls and all that stuff as being super exciting I suppose so like hey, I'm a bit older so I'm not I, know, I don't want any of that stuff and I'm married so I don't want any of that stuff so that, that element of it's gone being famous to me just seems 
that you know I, I, I'm, I'm better known again I'm better known now than I probably ever have been even yeah. when we're on TV if I go out on a Saturday night maybe five people will go hey Rich I love your stuff you know, and they know mm-hmm. my name now so that's, that's they never used to know my name but it's not it doesn't ruin the evening. It's just no. a, a quite nice. Five people tell you they it's like it. That's quite a nice, <laughs> yeah. manageable level, yeah. yeah. isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's not too bad, and then you move on, and, and I don't mind that. But I think if it was absolutely everywhere I went, how people were looking at me. If I was sitting in a coffee shop, I like to sit in a coffee shop and listening to other people's conversations. And if I was famous, people would be going, "Isn't that Richard Herring? Yeah. <laughs> What's he doing in the coffee shop? He looks like he's listening to <laughs> ne- next blog. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it odd how everyone's always talking about me? Yeah, yeah. So you lose out on all that sort of stuff. I think I'm just more interested in, and I, I think I always was really. I'm is interested in producing good comedy. As when I was younger, I possibly would hope that would lead to me meeting supermodels who might have sex with me. You know, I think. But I, I also think you look at, and they didn't. I think you look at other comedians' career paths, and you, you know, and the comedians who've had someone like Ricky Gervais and maybe David Williams probably have had exactly what I would have dreamed of happening. So yeah. Ricky Gervais, when I was young, Ricky Gervais has gone to Hollywood, he's worked with the Spinal Tap guys, he's been on The Simpsons, mm-hmm. he's met Larry David, he's worked yeah. with Larry David. Those are the kind of things that would think, oh, that's where I'm at, that would be amazing to have all that. David Williams, you know, has, has parted and married a supermodel and all those sort of things. And I think, again, as a young man, that might have been what I wanted. But I think... Ultimately, at the core of it, I always just wanted to create good comedy, and and you know, I, I was always a comedy fan as a kid, and just wanted to make stuff that was good, and that's enough now. So yeah, having the podcasts and stuff means that I have that outlet. Having stand up though just meant I had that outlet, and 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 stand. I think people see things as a step to the next level. You've got to see stand up. You've got to see every single thing you're doing as an end in itself. I think. So if you're doing stand-up because you think this will lead to me becoming a TV presenter, then you're not going to be that great stand-up. And also you're going to stop doing it so you won't have the, the years that you need to become a really great stand-up. So so many people have 10 good minutes, then bang, they're on TV and you never see them do stand-up again. The people you can really say, well, they're properly, they're a proper comedian, the ones who come back, uh, get that successful and still do the stand-up. Uh, if, you're, if, you, uh, you know, if you're doing podcasts and hope of getting a TV show, again, just I've seen the podcasts as an end in themselves. I kind of think with if the right thing comes along if someone comes from TV and goes will you come and do this thing mm. and it sounds like it'll work I would do it but and I'd like to write I'd really like to write TV scripts but with the less square theatre podcast I can't really see how you would do anything like that on TV the reason it works is because it's two hours long and you can say what you like and I can ask dumbass questions sure. and people are relaxed enough to know this is going out to a very select tiny group of people and it might get picked up by the press and the international media if you say you just try to kill yourself but you know, on the whole, it's kind of quite an intimate, nice thing, and it, and it works because of that, and it works because you can have this long conversation, which is what podcasts work. You know, this mm. is you're not you can't do something like this no. on any other media. Even if this was a radio show, would be constantly interrupted by other things, and you wouldn't be able to talk at this length. And yet, people love to listen to it. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, either casually or as they're doing something else or whatever. So that two-hour thing doesn't work anywhere else. And if you can make something brilliant as a podcast, why do you need to go on TV? I sort of feel like with Stu complaining about. TV's shutting people off. You kind of go, well, but the, the, I think TV's increasingly becoming like a, a, a side system. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's, it, you know, it's fine. It's going to, for mainstream stuff, it's going to still be there for a good time. But if you're doing interesting stuff, just do it yourself. It's, you know, we're going to film, we we start filming the Let's Square Theatre podcast, obviously. I'm going to make my own monthly half hour stand up show that I'm going to write and, you know, in, in, in the month and learn the month and do in the month. It won't be as slick as a TV show, but I think it essentially will be the same as making my own TV show and I think 
And how are you planning to distribute that? Is that a video I'm just, podcast? I'm just or doing or a video okay. on the video download. So we might do a bit of it as an audio. I think we might do an interview within it that we might put the whole interview out as an as a free audio. Mm. But the actual, because it'll take me a month at least to write each one and, and I have to do a lot of work. And it, you know, you've got to pay the cameramen and the editors and the producer and director. So we were charging for it. We'll just see how it goes. I mean, I think it'll lose money, to be honest. The, the, less, the less square theatre things worked out okay uh, in terms of money. We've made a bit of money. And you know we'll plough that back into the next thing. But if if it could become successful enough that it made a hundred thousand pounds, then that, then you could start making your own other. You know, it's yeah. a really weird dynamic podcasting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And I occasionally uh, I've spoken to Ben who produces uh, yeah. your show and and some other podcast people a couple of weeks ago at the Chortle conference. And it was fascinating because we all sort of met each other and went, oh, we're all, uh, we're all podcast people. What do you use? What's your gear? What do you, we've just had a little conversation about the relative uh, benefits yeah. of the task and stuff like that. Um, and it's quite interesting to sort of go, oh, there's a, little, there's a little subculture here, even though it does seem increasingly everyone's doing them. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's lots of them about. But I wonder, do you find it's frustrating that you go, I make this thing. Thousands of people, I have no idea what your listenership, but it's yeah. got to be in the tens of thousands, if not hundred thousand. Yeah, we get about hundred thousand. Okay, sure. So that many people listen to it for free, yeah, and it costs you to produce, yeah. Can't they just give you a pound <laughs> each or something? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, well, I think increasingly it will start to happen. But I set off doing. You know, we started, started doing with Andrew Collins, obviously, and for me, it was just the freedom of being able to do what you wanted to do. And, and I didn't think about it in any kind of business way. I just thought, mm. this is fun, let's do it. It'll be a fun mm. thing to do. It, you know, it's completely, um, I'd say it's, it's doubled my live audience, the podcast. It's yeah. not trebled it. Yeah. So therefore, my income has become a lot bigger because of that. Uh, my DVD sales or whatever. So I'm actually doing better financially now, because not because I thought, oh, this would be a clever way of making it. Sure, sure. So those people, enough of those people do appreciate after 200 hours or whatever yeah. go well maybe we should give him a tenner for something yeah so if that as long as enough of them do that and I think it, with the Less Square Theatre podcast we've you know about uh, 3,000 people have downloaded something right so it might not be the series pass but it's one of the episodes or the series pass um, we had a little a little bump from the Stephen Fry thing which might have sort of mm-hmm. doubled our, our thing but even 1,500 people is not bad to, to download stuff If it, that's about something like two out of one out of 20 or something, I guess, people mm. are, are download, you know, are paying for something. Mm. So if you can get 20 more people to listen to it, that's one person giving you another three quid. Sure, sure, okay. That. If yeah, you yeah. can persuade to one in 10 people to do it, then it starts to become more profitable. So I think as people start to understand that if they like this thing, it's not like uh, we're, you're, we're universal films and you can download their movie and mm. the movies are still being made. If, for the things I'm moving into, if people don't pay for it, it just won't exist anymore. So the, yeah. so the audience, because I'll do a series of this, it's Rich Shane's Meaning of Life. I'll do a series, see what the loss is, see if I can you know, cope with the loss, see if we've made any money. If we make a bit of money, that's fine. If we cover the cost, that's, you know, I'll do another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, if we don't, we probably won't do any more. Mm-hmm. So the audience become basically the commissioning editor. So if they enjoy it, then they have to just give... Yeah, three pound fifty or whatever it might be for one episode, or mm. it's not very much money when you look at. It. So like the the Less Square Theatre series, we did ten. In the end, we got ten podcasts for fifteen quid. Yeah, uh, which if that was a DVD, you know, it would be yeah. a DVD. It would be four or five DVDs. Sure, sure. So I think the problem is that a lot of younger people don't want to pay for anything. Yeah, uh, I think older people do, but I think enough people, even with the blog, I think after five years, enough people go. Oh, mm. I've read this every day for five years. You know, if he asks for ten quid for yeah, Skype yeah. or whatever, or ten quid for doing this, so you do. It does. 
it definitely has uh, led to me, and I don't mm. really understand. I, I, like I say, I think I'm probably making more money now, even than possibly when I was right working with Al. So mm-hmm. for maybe not, but you know, maybe <laughs> it's um, it's not enough people, and I, I I can't really understand why, but because I'm, I'm doing so much for free, but that enough people appreciate it. So I think I think there is a way of building, and if the audience really understand that the money is going not to funding my luxury lifestyle mm. of taking cocaine and sleeping with supermodels. I'll pay for that on my own. <laughs> um, but uh, but to, to, to plough that money back into making new stuff, I think there's enough sure. people out there that will hopefully make that happen. So, uh, you know, I, th- I, think it, I think you can start making anything, but I also think it doesn't matter. If you make something on a, ta- a Tascam mm. or you make something on a video camera and it's all right, it looks okay... That's 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 it. That's enough in itself. You know, I think you've got to think of it as an end. If you do something really well, eventually people will come around mm. to you. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't really understand why. You know, I, I can't understand what what I did that meant I stopped working on TV. I thought we worked really well on TV. We did really good stuff. I was doing really good writing, and then you know, there's been a big sort of wilderness period where. Mm. Uh, it's you know it's been back and forth, but it's not like people are ringing up going come on the TV, which will do this. Sure. And I don't understand why that is. I don't particularly understand what it is. Uh, but I've just thought I'm just going to carry on doing what I'm going to do, and I'm enjoying what I'm doing enough that if the rest of my life was just making the Less Square Theatre podcast 25 yeah. weeks a year and you know doing a tour, and that's 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 absolutely great. <laughs> When you say you don't understand why that is, yeah, and in that that kind of wilderness sort of period, do you do you have any theories? Do you feel there's a a, a quality you're lacking, or like a look know. that you're lacking? I, I've no, I mean, I you must have given you know, I you must have given us some You sort of drive yourself mad with that, you know. I don't, I don't know because I don't know why. All the people I've worked with, none of them seem that keen to employ me in anything. Mm. And I think, but I'm very friendly with them all, so I don't know. I don't. Is it just that they don't think I'm that good? Did I was I too annoying? Did I? I don't know. Sure. You know I mean, we work. We we had to work really hard with the Harry. It was quite stressful. It was kind of quite competitive in different sorts of ways, I suppose. So I don't. I don't I, you know, I don't know. But I, you just battle onwards, and then it, you get. And Stu battled onwards, and he, you know, he, he completely got to where he wanted to go. Mm. I think maybe it's partly that I think you maybe need to really want it much more than I do. Okay. I, I think I'm not so ambitious to be famous or, or massive successful anymore and I, I think I once was if anything maybe there's a part of me that is resistant to it so I've been offered a few things that I could have done okay. but I didn't feel comfortable you know sort of celebrity based TV shows okay. those there's sort a sort of, of an, un, an unwillingness to kind of play the game yeah, yeah. and be on celebrity juice say, yeah, yeah. yeah. well exactly of, so I've turned yeah. down things like that that I don't like mm. and uh, you know and any of those kind of I, I did a boat race thing years ago but I kind of worked out that there was enough people in that that I, they couldn't focus on me and that it wouldn't be a big hit and I was completely right and it was okay. an interesting experience to go through Do you? But, does, uh, does it give you cause to pause when you get invited let's just use celebrity juice as an example yeah. or, or that your programmes of that ilk yeah. do you when you get a request for something like that I mean, presumably you're not thinking, this could be it, this is my <laughs> ticket back in. But but are you sort of thinking, well, it, this is a choice. If I, I remember, and I, I will maybe interview him on a future show, and often when I when I uh, say, oh, I heard that you said this to yeah. my guests, they go, no, I have literally no idea what you're talking about. But with that caveat, I had heard that Phil Jupiter has said, if you want to be on telly, you need to be thought of as someone who's on telly yeah, yeah. by doing everything until you're... In the in the game, I mean, do do you sort of reflect on those 
Yeah, but I don't want to. You know, I'm, I'm a comedian. I don't want to do. I said I don't really want to be a. You know, if the pre- if a nice presenting job comes up, I'll do it. But I don't sure. really want to become a presenter. I wouldn't want if a nice quick, quick panel show thing comes up. I still do it. I'd be reluctant to kind of. I'd really have to think hard about taking on something like Phil has, like become a team captain for twenty years on a show. Sure. That. And I'm really glad he's back doing stand-up and stuff now. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's, it becomes very easy to go. Oh, well, now I'm making however much money that is for your 17 days work a year. It's mm-hmm. certainly enough to live off very comfortably mm-hmm. for a year. Why would you put yourself? Why would you put if you've got a family and stuff? Why would you push yourself out and do extra stuff? So I think there's there's an, an element of me, yeah, where I have had a few offers that I maybe if I'd taken different things would have happened. But I, d- I don't know. I've done. Have I got news for you? Do. Buzzcocks, I've done it a couple of times. You know, it doesn't seem to me to make much difference. You said that loads of people started recognising him in the street after he was in Buzzcocks or have I got news for you? I didn't really notice him, any mm. massive upshot. There was a couple of people noticed maybe on the weekend. Um, it, you know, it means, I guess, that it just means in terms of getting other jobs that maybe people go, oh, this is a guy that's been on have I got news for you if you sure. do like a slightly higher paid gig somewhere that it'll be on the little write-up about you. But, yeah, maybe it's about not... not. Um, I think people maybe think me and Stu were difficult. I think Stu was probably more difficult than I was okay. in terms of stuff. So I, think I mean, I have to say I hadn't heard that. Obviously, no, but, at the but, time you were working, that was... I mean, in terms of, you know, being very... As he is, you know, being very focused on what he wants and, and, and not taking any shit from anyone. So I think we maybe both got that reputation within people working in the industry. We were both at Avalon who also had that kind of mm-hmm. um, reputation. So maybe that put people off. But, I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe it is maybe it just is about you've got to be really hungry and push yourself but no one was really pushing me as a, I, mean, you know, I thought I was a good sketch performer and um, uh, a reasonable actor I never get any kind of offers of you know I only do those things if I write for myself basically so I don't know how you once you're in that gang then the people think of you and yeah. when you write a sitcom and people go well we need to cast famous people in it you know that's, that's the yeah. way it works yeah. um, so you can sort of see that it's this self-perpetuating thing sure. but I am really glad that I'm not. No, I could easily. I can. I, I, I can look at if if I'd got that. If I'd got if we turned into Little Britain, I'd have turned into a sort of much worse David Williams mm. figure and probably self-destructed. <laughs> yeah. Stu would have been. Stu would have hated it in different ways. So I'd be really glad that it didn't happen to us. If I'd turned into Ricky Gervais, I might have turned into sort of kind of arrogant person who didn't have any idea how he's perceived. Uh, so I'm glad that that didn't happen to me and you know I think it, it, there's lots of you know, or if I'd turned into David Mitchell it would have been I would have which who I really like and think does a great mm. job um, I think that would have been a different way for me to go I'd much rather I suppose be creating my own stuff and I guess that's it probably so that's probably the fact that, I'm, that I want to have the autonomy to make my own stuff it's very hard to get onto TV that way now because I think TV people think of in terms of we've had an idea who can we put in it they don't really yes. like you to come with I've written this thing for me will you make this or, or yeah. you know a lot of my things for other people they don't like you coming with an idea they want to have the idea and put the team together okay. I think in the old days you they put the team together and or the team would come together and go go off and, and make this thing so I you know I haven't played the game in that way and, and, I, and I'm not I've not been keen to write for other people so yeah I mean I suppose I've made that choice and I you know but I see doing the stand-up shows as ends in themselves. Mm. None of them are really... I mean, you know, Hit Up Stash became Richardarian's Objective, which was a sort of different thing. But they could turn into TV shows. I suppose Talking Cotton nearly became a TV show the first time I did it. So there are there's an, there's an element where you could do stuff with those shows, but they're very much an end in themselves. You know? so, sure. And, and that's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm aiming for. It's, it's interesting to hear, with, your, with the amount of work that you produce and the amount of work that you clearly do do, even if you claim to be lazy, <laughs> even if it's all done in the last five minutes before, you know, or in it the is, last couple of days. Um, 
But it's interesting to hear that you might speculate that you don't want it enough. Yeah. Because I, 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 I think that of myself very frequently. I'm a bag of nerves. My, I, I get away. I feel like I get away with stand-up. I enjoy it a lot of the time. Sometimes it goes badly and I have a horrible time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I spend a lot of time in the day on my own thinking, right, how can I... I really must work... You know, like you said yeah. earlier on, writing or failing to write. You know, there's an awful lot more failing to write than there is writing. Right? Yeah. Um, and I, I do think, beset as I am by all of these kind of... The, the attendant psychological problems of a very isolating, or at times very isolating job. Um, I, one of the things I end up thinking is, oh, do I, do I want this anyway? Do I, <laughs> do I even want this? And I think to myself, of course I want it. All I'd need to do is two days on a building site or two days, you know, in an office or something like that. But, but I just wonder about that... The, the way in which you could sort of the way in which you maybe can't prove to yourself despite the amount of work you produce despite the quality of work that that therefore means that you do want it and yeah. you're okay and you're just not getting it I don't know but I, yeah I sort of think I mean in the past like there was loads of times where I wanted to stop completely you know I'd, I'd have a couple of weeks and usually in the middle of Edinburgh I was going I'm going to give this up and stop I don't like it so I want it enough to keep doing it I think what I want I think my just ambitions have changed what I want is to keep on working and making you know something around the living I'm making now for the rest of my life and just to be carrying on performing and I think so my ambition has just changed so I don't and looking at what you get from even you know with Stu he finds the fame aspect of it very annoying um, and I just don't know. I'm just not, I'm not sure that I would want to be under that kind of scrutiny if it was for the right thing. If I was, you know, I think Stu's played it really, really well and deservedly so, and has got a TV show and completely under his own terms, or two mm. TV shows completely under his ter- own terms, and uh, that's an amazing thing to achieve, especially in the current climate. And that's good. And I think if I could do something similar, then I might might take it. But uh, no, I don't. I don't think it's. Um, I, I, you know, it's hard to know whether you've just. Uh, Decided this is what's happened, so therefore th- this is what I wanted. But I don't think I don't think it was ten years ago. This isn't what I wanted. I would have felt like a failure. I would have felt that um, embarrassed. I was much more competitive, and you know, I think when I started out, I wanted to be the most famous and best comedian in my generation. Mm-hmm. I guess that a I realised that wasn't probably likely to happen because I met you know I've worked with some fantastic <laughs> comedians. But you go, oh, well, they are. You know, Steve Coogan is probably more talented as a comedy <laughs> than I am, probably. Wait for a word. So, you know, I worked with him very early on, so you kind of realise your limitations. But, uh, you know, it's, you, you realise, I think, there's a lot of luck in it and there's a lot of... There maybe is a bit of playing the game. I'm terrible at networking and I don't remember who people are and I'm not really interested in doing that. I just, I, I think I still probably li- work under, I and mean, it's probably from my dad, you just sort of work under a, a, an idea that if you do the best, if you work hard and the good, people will recognise that and you'll be rewarded. But that isn't how it works, I don't think. So, you know, some is there, there's a lot of luck in... If you look at all the people in the office, they were very lucky, you know, when, and when you've cast a sitcom, you understand how much luck there is in casting a sitcom. You'll get... You'll have a part and you go, oh, oh, both these people are brilliant. Who should we choose? I don't know. No, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. And if we'll go around room to five people and three of them will say one person and two of them will say the other and that person gets cast. Mm-hmm. So the person who didn't get cast was like, if that had been the office, that's it gone. They were just an, uh, uh, yeah. a hair's breadth away from being in the office and they, if they're in the office, then they become like a, a world-famous, successful actor. You know, So mm-hmm. you, you realise how much luck there is in this and just chance of being in the right place, making the right decisions. Um but I think you know maybe I'm, I'm not saying that if 
BBC Two came and said, we want you to do, rather than doing the old Meaning of Life show at the Les Square Theatre on your own, we're going to pay you not that much money really, <laughs> to do it. You know, I don't know. I mean, in the, that's what I sort of think. Would, even for the money that you would get on TV, the only thing about TV is the exposure, which means loads more people come and see you live. Um, but I, what I like about my live work is I've really, I've grueled. I mean, I have worked hard at that. And over 12 years, I've built up my own audience uh, of, you know, between 100 and 600 people who come and see me in each town. Or, you know, sometimes a bit more than that if you add them all together. Um, and I've built that audience up through hard work and through them liking me and then telling their friends and their friends liking me and it working and liking the podcast and it works. If you're then on TV, and Stu's even had this a little bit, people will come mm. along and go, what, what, what? I thought he was on TV, I don't get any of this, what's going on? So even if they haven't sure. seen him on TV, they still don't know what he's going to yes, be. Yes. Or they just think because he's on TV, he's famous. And you double your audience, you make lots of more money. And I'm sure Stu definitely could play much bigger venues than he does play. Um, but it's then the quality of the experience and also that feeling that I've earned this audience myself and they're a really brilliant audience who like my stuff yeah but they all bring a friend every there's a few people going oh I don't get this but mostly sure. I'm playing to people who really get my stuff like me kind of feel um, that I'm their little secret I think you know, yeah. I do good shows and people you know I'll have that a lot of people going why aren't you on TV or what's I don't understand why you know, this is really good why aren't you on TV but that's a really satisfying thing to have and I, and I just think the de- it's the balance of obviously having enough people liking you that you can keep your career going mm-hmm. so I think going com- I'm not interested in going underground I'm not like Daniel Kitson I'm not going you know I'm going I'm to keep this secret I don't mind doing TV I don't mind doing panel shows um, do, do you think that would affect your relationship with your audience if, they're, if you're their little secret yeah do you think that if you then did a big TV show some of them might go Oh, oh right! Every, my, everyone knows about it now. I, I liked Richard Herring when it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of my friends are really cool. So. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it necessarily would make that much difference. I think they I think a lot of them they, they sort of invest in me in the soap opera sense of it. I think so. I think a lot yes. of them when something happens, like I, when they see me on TV, they get very excited about the fact that I'm, I'm doing Daro Green's very hard sums or something. Sure, they'll tweet because you're their guy. Yeah, yeah. Cause, and yeah. so they're kind of behind me, and they I think. I suppose because I have documented it so much, they've sort of been through it and they've, they, know, mm. they know what I've been through to get to where I am. But, you know, 10 years ago, I wasn't, I wasn't a stand-up at all. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't as good as I am now. So I'm glad this 10 years has happened. And I'm also, if, as long as I can keep the, what I've got in a viable extent, and you've got to, you, what I'm saying is you've got to trade off a little bit. I think you can't just mm-hmm. go, right, well, I'm not, I'm going to cut myself off from that world completely because I'm not in the stage where I can do that. I think Stuart probably could. Stuart's, Mm-hmm. you know probably made for life now even if he stopped doing TV he doesn't need to do that TV show now he sort of I think it's good he wants to do it but he you know he sort of, he sort of goes oh I don't like all the famous stuff he doesn't need to do it if he doesn't want to do it <laughs> because there's enough people who come see him to make him have a very viable yeah. career for you know at least another 20 years I'm not really I think I still have to keep working but it's definitely got to a, a much better point but it, it's it's taken you know, I've properly been on tour on my own for 12 years. Yeah. Going, driving everyone on my own, playing to 30 people, having terrible experiences, being very lonely, you know, and and feeling like, it, you know, how can I keep doing this? But I've kept doing it, and I suppose that's the difference. And there aren't many people, there aren't many comedians in the, the place that I'm at. You're no. either playing 10,000 or 1,000, 10,000 seats, or you're playing 30 people, there aren't actually very many people who can sort of sustain. I guess I'm probably averaging 300 people a night, but you know I can do a 500 seat theatre and often fill it. Or 
it depends, it depends which town I'm in, but there, there aren't many acts of that level because you'll either be much bigger or much smaller. It's yes. quite a rare place. To yeah, yeah. So there, I think there's about two or three of us in the middle and there's a, you know, a few people coming up the back, the, the, coming in the smaller area, but some of them will just explode and suddenly go into mm. the big area. And I think it's much more satisfying to have built up and played the tiny clubs and play... And st- I still do tour and t- to some little tiny comedy venues and then also be able to occasionally play... Um, the Bloomsbury or the Nottingham Playhouse or something which is a massive proper theatre and mm. experience that it's really nice to build up I would be I'd be up, I'd be disappointed in hindsight I obviously wouldn't know if I'd just gone uh, from you know from uh, the Ballon Banana to playing Wembley or whatever or sure. playing the O2 because you wouldn't have had all these well, you know, actually the almost perfect size playing audiences I think I've done I've played places like the Apollo and stuff in charity gigs and they're, 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 it's a really really fun mm. room to play but it's more fun, I think, being in a sort of 400, 500 seat, which is why I think Stu still mainly plays those, even yeah. though you play bigger, because you have much more intimate feeling there. But to have built it up and understand that and to have learnt, and once you've learnt to play to 30 people in an art centre, pretty much any gig is easy after that. So, uh, so you know, I'm, I feel very fortunate to, to build up, and I feel like I've hopefully got another 25 years in my career. So, you know, who knows what could happen. It'd be nice to get... Um, recognition I suppose but I feel I've got it does feel like I've got recognition from the people I want to get recognition from now I suppose does it? yeah I mean I think I feel like I no, I suppose my worry 10 years ago was I was just going to disappear or that you know the double level finish and that would be it and then I wouldn't have any more work Sure. which again maybe when I sort of started come, doing all the stuff on my own it was partly just to show I could do it but also just get the stuff out there but also just to to carry on working um and so I sort of feel fairly secure in that I can carry on doing this if I want to do it. I feel like within the comedy community, people respect me as a comedian. I think people respect me as a, a, a writer. So I've, I've got that. It's not, you know, I haven't got BAFTAs and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Perrier Awards and anything like that. But, uh, it, it's, uh, but that is sort of less important to me now. It's still, it's still very difficult to watch the British Comedy Awards or the BAFTA Awards without kind of think, feeling a bit cross. Really? Yeah, a little bit, but uh, but I'm much better now. I mean, it used, I haven't been to the British Comedy Awards since 1992, so everything I've done from 1992 to 2013 <laughs> or 2012 has not been considered. None of that stuff's been considered good enough to get a British Comedy Award. Okay, which to me again, that feels like, given my position in where where I see myself in the comedy sure. fraternity, it feels like a snub. Yeah, it feel, that feels odd that I know nothing I've done in all that time has been you know. So it's only on the hour basically. We had, was the reasons we went to the British Comedy Awards, which wasn't a good mm. show. Um, but, you know, that seems, that seems an odd thing to do. So that so there were times when I'd watch the British Comedy Awards and be hardly able to watch it. But I can watch it now. And the BAFTAs as well, you kind of think, it's a sh- I, don't, I can't really watch the BAFTAs without thinking that's really me because I don't even have sure. a TV show. Sure. But you, sort of, you, see your, you see your contemporaries doing that well. Yes. And you're bound to think, well, what was... Was I just not as good as them? Or, you know... So it's, it's, it's very hard to know. But I, but I mean, I, I feel... It's a much smaller part of me now that feels like that because I feel very happy about what I'm doing. But I think it's okay. very, I think it's hard. All I'm really saying, I think it's impossible to. I'm not going to see and go. No, no, I'm absolutely fine. I never get jealous of anyone. I never sure. because you still have that in you. But I think I'm so much more in a happy place about who I am, and that's what I mean. Like that, I can have a really good script turned down, and my immediate reaction isn't to kind of smash things up and go. I'm never writing anything again. In my immediate reaction is to go right. Well, I'll move on to the next thing, or I will just start making stuff 
completely on my own and not bother with all of this. I, you know, 10 years ago, I guess I was thinking, you know, oh God, well, I might be 45 and still not be on TV or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now I'm nearly 46 and it hasn't happened. You know, but there's mm-hmm. still time, I think, and there's still... And, it, and, and being on TV, I don't think is... I guess I don't see it as the, the exciting end point to it all. I, I think being on TV, I see as being a way to make people aware of the other stuff I'm doing. I guess so. I I, I see that more as a commercial yes. rather than one. as a tool rather than yeah, well, Whereas when I started, I was so yeah. into, I, was, I wasn't really into live comedy. I loved TV because that's all I'd had when I was growing up. So I wanted to do TV shows. I wanted to be Monty Python or the Young Ones. I wanted to be. I wanted that what mm. I did to be that. You know, and uh, and that you know didn't quite or nearly happen, but didn't quite happen. But so now you know, I just think well, if I can do, if I got news for you every now and again, or if you know, if I got like a stand-up show on TV or if I've got a script on TV then that might feed back into my live work And but I sort of feel like I want to keep on doing these live shows I might not do them every year now but now this is the 10th year in a row that I've done a different stand-up show um, and I, you know it starts to get wet it's, that's tiring it's the tiring the travelling's tiring um, when, yeah. when you had those moments that you referred to earlier on of feeling like I don't know if I want to do this anymore yeah what did you tell yourself to get back on the horse I don't know I just think I realised I was being stupid because it was like you know it was there's nothing I can do so I, I, I was sort of you'd be in the middle of Edinburgh going this is all shit and it's not I've done this great show and no one knows and I had a lot of Edinburgh's where I think you know I think people you thought we were more successful but even in the industry I think people thought oh they're doing fantastically well it's like I've not been eligible for the Perrier Award or whatever the mm. Foster's Award since whatever really I mean because they view me as being too successful mm. but a, I was successful in a double act, which isn't the act I'm doing now, which sometimes doesn't seem to make matter in the very sure. And um, and B, you know, it's about everywhere you go, you get 500 people, and I can't, you know, I, I, I'll get 500 people in four towns, mm-hmm. uh, but most places I will, I won't get 500 mm-hmm. people. So mm-hmm. I'm not as successful as as, as they as they think I am. I think I, you know, I would just be in Edinburgh getting feeling annoyed and think, oh, I should do something like go to Africa and help do something useful with my life you know and so but then I would realise that A I'm too selfish and it's not realistic and there's nothing else I can do so you would just sort of feel you know there's an element where this job can be a bit vacuous and it can be selfish and self-centred and and then in Edinburgh you get even more self-centred so it you know it sort of implodes into this uh, solipsistic kind of nightmare Uh, and then you just kind of get over it once you've realised that you've been a bit stupid I suppose but but and also, I think you realise you can do a bit more. If you're doing well with what you're doing, you can do nice things. Mm. And you can make people... Well, A, you can do charitable stuff anyway, and B, you can educate a little bit or make people think about stuff a little bit. So I think it it isn't... I don't feel the job is as pointless and uh, vacuous as I maybe sort of sometimes okay. felt it was. Okay. So Because I think through through, do, through doing what, I, what I'm doing, I think you're making people think about interesting subjects. And, mm-hmm. and you, I get really nice emails from people saying... That that my comedy's helped them in some way or another, and yeah. that's you know that feels like well actually I, I am doing even if even if it's only those five people sure who, sure because of my podcast have got through depression or something unbelievably, yeah. but you know I think it is having that you, you do have that connection with people and, and that's a, that's a nice thing so yeah, yeah. I do, you know I feel very um, I feel very happy about where I am and yeah I'm sort of slightly zen about where I am mm. and I don't really want to there's a there's there's an element I feel that in five years time. I might be one wishing I could be back here. In this. Do you really? Well, either way, because either I'll be less successful, or and now I wish I could be a bit more successful. Or I'll be much more successful and again. I've been wishing I could be in this. It's sort of finding that middle ground where you can live your life, make a nice living, 
do what you want to do and uh, you know enough people like you to, to, to fuel that but not mm. so many people like mm. you that it sort of blows apart or you, you know you have to uh, you know so if I'd been if we'd become Little Britain I think there'd have been someone saying oh Rich you can't do hit the moustache because you can't well A you know you've got, you've got all this other work you've got to do yeah. uh, and having a hit the moustache will ruin it but B <laughs> I think people might think it's a bit odd or people you know or someone would be saying to me no, I don't you'll be too famous to explore that idea yeah, and also yeah people yeah. go why is, why is Ricky Gervais got a hit the moustache oh it'll be some crazy joke so it wouldn't even work sure, anyway sure um, but uh, but you know there isn't you know, there isn't. I wouldn't be able to do me one versus me two snooker. Someone would be <laughs> taking me. You can't do this. It's it's bad for the brand. Rich Tone at the moment. Yeah, my wife okay. telling me that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to show her. That I'm going to make. I want to do a year where I make a living only playing snooker <laughs> <laughs> to prove to her that it's a good idea. It may not happen. Uh, but you know, so I think that that f- you realise you've got to look at the the positive of what's happened, and I think that freedom and that autonomy is mm. much, to me much more important than being famous or having lots of money and as it is I've got quite you know I've done all right financially yeah. through various things so I, I can't complain about that so so what is it because I and I want to move on because there's loads yeah. of other stuff okay. to, to talk about your persona and uh, the writing and all of that sort of stuff but because it seems so particular to you I've just got one more question about this this aspect of the industry which is that what would it mean to you if you did go out to Edinburgh with this show and you won the main award yeah what I, we're kind of sort of I'm imagining like <laughs> I'd be God I'd be thrilled for you you know but but like if you kind of like you won the award or some other award or British Comedy Award or yeah. something and you held it and you went this is it finally yeah what what is it that you that you get that you crave that you want so much see I don't think I do want that anymore I think I really did want it and I, do, I really did want that recognition and I don't think it would be as big a big an issue to me now I think I'd be really conflicted about winning the uh, Foster's Award <laughs> okay. and whether I would even accept it but I think I know it's a really difficult thing it's a difficult because I don't think it's a good thing to have uh, an award in Edinburgh no, no sure uh, and despite all the other stuff there's all sorts of reasons but I think it just creates an unpleasant divisive atmosphere and it's sort of stu- it turns it all into a competition and, uh, you know, and yeah. even I'm not even eligible for it and I still it still upsets me I'll be at least one day of the fringe it'll still upset me that I'm not eligible for it and I haven't won it <laughs> so you know that's how that's how insane, in, a, in a time but, no, but that's, it, that's just it then if that is still happening uh, yeah. then you're not as over it <laughs> as you claim to be and I'm not but trying no, to... but there's an element that's what I'm saying there's a tiny element you watch these things but it isn't I don't it's not like I'd go feel vindicated I feel vindicated by the fact that I've managed to create an audience for yeah. my stuff and yeah. that's the, yeah. okay. to go to Edinburgh okay. and if I can sell out most of the time in Edinburgh that's the vindication because I've sure. done so many Edinburghs where I've lost money and no one's come to see me for you know, for a lot, not uh, more, much more recently than you might imagine. It's only I was going to say it's only the last four or five years. It's really got much better, and even last year was quite. You know, I was in too big a room, and it wasn't right. Yeah, I mean, it did okay. I still made some money, and it was still. Okay. I still got. I was going to say when, when when in the when in the hours of Edinburgh was a tipping point for you at which you actually made money. I think the, was, the Holy Grail is breaking even. Yeah, right? it was yeah. only when I did when I moved to the um, when I did the White Belly, whatever that. I think maybe that was oh fuck, I'm forty, possibly Menage and. But only because the deal was slightly better. It was a slightly bigger room, and the deal was yes. slightly better. So I made thousand pounds or something. Yeah, uh, and you know, but well, I, you know, I, I do. It's actually once you get to the stage where you're getting three hundred people in, which is I suppose about my average now. That's a mm-hmm. however much you're spending, you can you can make a, yeah. a nice amount of money. And okay. anyone doing bigger than that is making, you know, proper money in Edinburgh, which seems kind of weird. But um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think if if I'd written a TV show and it won a BAFTA, I think that would feel um, good. I think you'd feel. 
but it's mainly just in terms of having the security to carry on working I think that's I think the thing that annoyed me about the, the, the awards really it wasn't like going, oh, I need everyone to love me although that's nice I think it was if you get that award it means you're allowed to do the stuff you want to do mm. uh, so that so Stu winning those BAFTAs is amazing because I think the BBC might very easily have gone uh, bad luck no, we mm. don't do any more of those but because he, he's won two BAFTAs or whatever he's won they can't, they can't really Cancel yes. The show. Yes. I see. So, what you mean. so okay. it, it gives, gives you a shield, basically. Right, yeah, it gives yeah. you a little, and it's and it's nice to get there. Are there are awards? You think that is you know? I think the Chortle Awards. I feel you know. I feel very happy when mm. I win those. But it took again. It took a long time. There's a lot of years of going to Chortle Awards where I wasn't nominated for anything or mm. I got a nomination and didn't win. Uh, in fact, it's only the ones I haven't been to that I've, I've never. I've still never physically picked up an, an award. Because I haven't been able to go to any of the chores that I've been able to do. Um, I suppose actually the only thing I did get given that at my table by a lady, so they like, maybe can't. But uh, <laughs> going third, but uh, you know, it, it isn't it isn't that that big a deal. But I guess it's you know, it is just in terms of you. So, you it would feel, you just felt it would feel like a shame if you'd worked all your life and nobody noticed it was any good, and it was mm. good. But I think that must happen a lot. And there's yeah. like, but all the people I like that I really like someone like Ken Campbell is probably my favourite mm. uh, you know phys- live performer and he wasn't well known you know, but he would do amazing I mean he was well known but he wasn't like mm. massively famous but he'd do amazing one man shows and that's enough and someone some, well, somebody who worked with Ken Campbell told me that my shows reminded them of, ten, of Ken Campbell shows and that was you know that's yeah. probably better than anything yeah, else that yeah. you can ever get so you know you, I think you but you get a clearer head about it and you kind of get a bit more level headed about it and you and also, I'm at, at, in a place where I have a degree of security about my mm. career and my work okay. that it okay. isn't such an issue anymore. I really think six, seven, seven years ago, I was really terrified that everything I'd done, you know, that I worked really hard to achieve was just destroyed by whatever, by the whim of whoever decided what was mm. going to get on TV. And I, I so put all my eggs in the basket of being on TV that I didn't have anything else. So that's why I had to come back and... You know, I had to restart as a stand-up, basically. So I spent eight years, eight or nine years, doing stand-up, mm. and now I think I'm pretty good at it. But it, but it was right. It was like starting again with a bit of a leg up. And we're going to leave it there for now, I'm afraid. Um, next time's show is going to see... I, uh, I wrote time in my notes earlier on, but we've already established it's next week's show. I've just got to pull my finger out. Uh, it features the second half of this interview in which we're going to focus on Richard's Edinburgh shows, his place in the comedy community and the state of the industry and the state of the industry looking forward as well. So lots of really fascinating stuff there. Thank you very much to Richard. Thanks to Dan Melrose and Graham Crockford. Crockford, oh dear. Thanks to that's been. I mean, come on. What's this? Episode forty-six is the first time I've made that mistake. I'm. I'm not going to be too gutted about myself. Uh, thanks to Dan Melrose and Graham Crockford. Get your Comedians Comedian Edinburgh tickets. Most of the guests are now up at www.comedianscomedian.com. 5.15 daily in the Gilded Balloon. I will see you there. Uh, and there's some exciting mystery ones yet still to be announced. Speak to you soon. Mm-hmm.